0: And if you have your Bibles, take and turn them to Matthew chapter 7. As we continue studying together the greatest sermon given by the greatest preacher, commonly called the Sermon on the Mount, verses 7 through 11 of Matthew 7, Jesus says, ask, And it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? So far the reading of God's Word. What is a four-year-old like when he gets hungry? Picture four year old sitting in the living room playing with his Lego and suddenly he realizes he's hungry. What does he do? What does he say? Mom, could you give me something to eat? The mom doesn't answer. So what does four year old do? Four year old gets up and he starts searching the house. Mom, And the bedroom door is closed, and Mom's inside getting dressed, getting changed. Mom! He knows Mom's on the other side of the door. What does four-year-old do? Mom! Mom comes and opens the door and gives him a big hug. He says, I'm hungry, Mom. And she says, let's go to the kitchen. Let's see what we have, see what we can find. And she blesses him. Jesus tells us that that's a picture of the Christian life. In this passage here, Jesus says, My disciples live a life of dependent prayer. A life of seeking and asking and knocking, coming to the Heavenly Father. Now, You know that this is not the first time in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus has talked about prayer. In fact, he started off warning us, do not be like the hypocrites. Who are they? Those are the people who prayed for show, right? Showing off with their prayers. Jesus says, don't be like them. And he says, don't pray like the pagans. What are they like? The pagans are those who try and manipulate God with their superstitious incantations, trying to coerce God into giving them what they want. Instead, Jesus, and we spent several months on this, Jesus says, when you pray, let me tell you what you should say. And he starts out, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And he gives us what we now call the Lord's Prayer. So Jesus has taught us a lot about prayer. But in this passage, he comes back to prayer. And what he wants to do here is he wants to build confidence in His disciples when they pray. He wants to build confidence in a dependent life so that you know you're not on your own. And He says, ask, seek, knock, and expect an answer. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. There in verse 8 He says, expect, and I'm excited for us to study this today because, as you know, if you've ever seen our core values document, what are the essential values of our church, the first one is that prayer is fundamental, not supplemental, to the life of our church. Prayer is fundamental, not a supplemental add-on. And so we teach ourselves, we call ourselves, don't we, To pray, to be a praying church, praying families, praying marriages, praying people. Point number one, you see it in your sermon outline, and there's other scriptures on the back. Jesus just gives us these commands. He makes these imperatives. Ask, seek, knock. Because, you see, God created us to live in active dependence on Himself. Even back in the Garden of Eden, didn't Adam walk with God in the cool of the day? Adam, before the world was messed up, Adam lived in dependence and in fellowship with God. And then after he was cast out and evicted from the Garden of Eden, we read immediately, Seth began to call on the name of the Lord, and the Lord was his helper. And Abraham, and Moses, and David, and Elijah, and Elisha, and the church of Jesus Christ through the centuries has learned to cry out and live in dependence on God. Have you? We take very seriously passages of the Bible like Philippians 4, verse 6. You've heard it dozens of times here, haven't you? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your requests to God. We need to learn this again and again. You don't just learn it once. You learn it and you relearn it again and again. We take very seriously verses like Hebrews 4.16 where the writer is talking about the the privilege that the Christian has to boldly go into the throne room of Almighty God. And what does it say? It says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. To be like four-year-old looking for mom or dad, independence upon them believing. That four-year-old has faith. What does that four-year-old believe? My dad's going to give me something to eat. My mom's going to help me out here. But if you're honest and if I'm honest, there's a problem. And the problem with living in a life of dependence on God is that many times, well, I depend on other things or other people. And if you're a good American, you've been taught, if you've got a problem, solve it yourself. Let's go. Let's get in gear here. Uh, you, you, you have to learn life skills and be competent. And, of course, life skills are very important, and personal competence is a, is a good thing to have. But if that's all you trust in... You're trusting in yourself When you get sick, what does the good American do when he gets sick? You call the doctor. Doctors are good. I love doctors. But if that's all there is, then the best you can do is the doctor. If you need some chemicals adjusted in your body because it's not working right, you go to the pharmacist. The pharmacist gives you some pills. Well, that's good. that pills are helpful. In many ways, but if that's all you have, you never go to God. One of the blights on American culture is that we don't need God because we are personally competent, we have good doctors, and the most respected person in every community, magazine after magazine tells us, is the pharmacist. When you get sick, It's okay to go to the doctor, but first, go to God. When you need more clients in the office, it's good to do your cold calling, but first, go to God. And when your children are out of control, it's a good thing to run and get Paul Tripp's book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, and read it, read it, read it, but but first... First, go to God. Jesus says in John 16:24, one of the many places where he disciples us in praying, he says uh, uh, to us, "Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask whatever you wish, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete." Jesus didn't say people didn't pray, but now he begins to give he gives us guidelines and he says you need to pray in my name. What does that mean? Is Jesus name like saying open sesame? No, it's not a superstitious thing. Jesus is saying you come to God the Father on the basis of my merits. I am the high priest. The book of Hebrews, that passage in Hebrews 4, was talking about this. You have a high priest who presents you to the Father, who's opened the door, who welcomes you to God the Father. His name is Jesus Christ. And so you come on the merits of Jesus Christ, in His authority to the Father, when you're knocking and seeking and asking. And you believe. Now, of course, some of you are saying, Well, you know, I've tried that. And sometimes it doesn't work. And here, I think we have to take a passage like this with a wonderful promise, and we we just have to say, if you read the Bible, you do understand that God has not given you a blank check to fill in. This should be obvious, but you see, Christians with bad theology through the centuries and around the world have taught a kind of, well, I guess you could call it a name-it-and-claim-it view of prayer, where the Christian can go around and boss God, tell God what to do, and if you just name it, then you get to claim it and you expect it, and then when it doesn't happen, of course, it creates a huge crisis of faith in, in people's lives, And John Stott, he he puts it like this. He says, "'Do not think that Jesus is suggesting "'that God always answers prayers "'as though we simply wave a prayer wand "'and any wish will be granted "'and every dream will come true, "'as though, knock and it shall be opened to you "'is like saying, open sesame "'to every closed door without exception.'" John Stott says, that idea is ridiculous. It would turn, here's what he says, that would turn prayer into magic and the person who prays into a magician like Aladdin bidding Aladdin's genie every time we rub our little prayer lamp. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says, I'm so grateful that God did not open every door I told him to open. It's true, you know. In our Sunday school class today, Lydia Kunin said uh, a dozen years ago, I so wanted my daughter to get into this school in Manhattan. I I wanted her to get into this school, and I cried. I prayed, and I cried when, when she didn't get into this school, and she didn't get into the next school, and she didn't get into the next school. She got into the last school. And in that school, I met Tony, she said. (laughs) And we have the most wonderful life together. So when we have promises like this from Jesus, we offer them in faith. But please understand, listen. Jesus told us earlier in Matthew 6, 8, Your heavenly Father knows what you need even before you ask Him. He does know. Yet He bids us to speak our requests to Him honestly. And sometimes he says, yes. Sometimes he says, no, I'm going to do it a different way than you think. And sometimes he says, yes, but not yet. And it falls to the Christian. It falls to the Christian to humble themselves under God's mighty hand, awaiting his answer to our honest requests in prayer. When four-year-old comes and knocks on the bedroom door and says, dad, can I have a snack? Sometimes Dad says, I remember my father, my dad, he and I had a special arrangement, a treat. This is long ago before there were cream sickles. My dad, in the freezer, always made sure we had a pot of vanilla ice cream and a pot of orange sherbet. He would say, go get two bowls and a scoop and two spoons. And we would sneak down in the basement, you know, and my dad, and we would he would get he'd say he would say, Son, this is this is the nectar of the gods. And he would put a scoop of vanilla ice cream and a scoop of orange sherbet and chop them up together. It was the cream sickle. Before there were cream sickles. And sometimes Dad will do that. Other times Dad will say, You know, Mom's got dinner coming, and dinner is in twenty minutes. No orange sherbet today, not yet. Yeah, we have something better for you. And sometimes God does that, doesn't He? Wait longer. I've got a better meal for you. And in God's all-wise providence, oh my friends, the Bible says His ways are higher than our ways. He knows better. And even when He says I'm going to do it differently than you wanted, because aren't you glad He gave Tony to Lydia? you see. And God works in wonderful ways. So we're called to ask, seek, and knock, but it is not the presumptuous arrogance of name it, claim it, bossing God around, telling Him what to do. You always come and you always pray, Lord, if it's for your glory, because the ultimate purpose of prayer is the glory of God. Halsby, in his wonderful book on prayer, and this book has taught me now for decades, Halsby says, he says, look, When you're in a predicament, you pray to God about your predicament. You say, God, if if it will glorify your name, get me out of this predicament. But if it will glorify your name more for me to stay in this predicament, then glorify your name in that way and enable me to glorify you while I'm in it. Okay? Now, Jesus gives lots of coaching for those of us who want to learn how to pray. And He says things like this. He says... Abide in me. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you wish, it will be given to you. And, and John the Apostle in 1 John 5, 14 and 15, he says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything, now listen to this next phrase, according to His will, He hears us. And when you put these together, you have this, this praying In the will of God, while you're abiding in Christ, and He's going to answer, and He's going to hear you. Now, okay, let's do an experiment. You tell me if I'm abiding in Christ and praying according to the will of God. Dear Heavenly Father, bless the work of my hands as I go to rob the Bank of America this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. What do you think? Bzzz, right? No, that is, I could not pray that prayer, abiding in Christ and His Word abiding in me. His Word says, you shall not steal. That's certainly contrary to His revealed will. And when we pray according to His will, we are also asking, thy will be done. And we are submitting to what is called the decretive will of God, God's, God's will that He decrees that He's going to bring to pass. We are the humble ones, not the presumptuous ones, when we pray like this. Nonetheless, all those things being said, now I tell you, when you pray, you you expect to receive. And I want you to expect. I want us to be a people, when you get to your home fellowship group on Thursday night, on Tuesday night, your youth group on Friday night, that when your, your leader says, does anybody have anything to share about what God's doing in your life, that you are quick to say, you know, here's something I was praying about and here's what's come to pass. Let me give you a few illustrations. I pray about the church all the time. Elias and Chandi and I have been praying together on Wednesday nights that God would bring more people into the life of our church, more families into the life of our church, so that we can share our joy in, of the Lord with them. And that God would add to our numbers, because we've got empty seats where people can come and they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we want more people to do that. And since we started praying that... There's been about a 10% increase in our Sunday attendance. Now, is that a coincidence? Or is that a gracious answer to prayer? We have a number of single people in the life of our church, and and some of them want to be married. (laughs) And we pray for them. And we're still praying for some of those who want to be married. But since we've been doing this, This year, just this year, four couples are engaged in the life of our church. Some married and some have beautiful weddings on the horizon. Is that a coincidence? Or is that an answer to prayer? What do you think? We prayed for a youth director, didn't we? Over a year. We prayed not just for a warm body to fill a staff position. We prayed, God, give us someone with experience. Lo and behold, in God's timing, He brings us Tay Cho and wisdom, and Tay has ten years' experience in youth ministry and has a heart for young people. Just a coincidence? Or a gracious answer to prayer? And I mention these because when Elias and I pray together, we say things like, And Lord, we know it's foolish to pray and not believe, so we're believing you're going to answer this because we confess our tendency is we could have little faith or we could be weak in faith, and we don't want this as we're praying. We trust you, Lord, to answer these prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. And so two of your elders, we're not mighty prayer warriors. We come halting and faltering, but we come in faith. And you do the same. Because Ephesians 3.20 says, I love this verse, Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be glory. And by the way, there's the end result. The end result is not my satisfaction in getting what I want. To Him be glory. It's all about the glory of God. In the church, glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Do you believe when you pray? You need to believe. God's going to answer. And that leads to the second point. You see it in your outline. That your heavenly Father, according to Jesus, is better than your earthly Father. So one more time, Jesus reinforces, when you address God, what should you call Him? Father. Father. And I have a word, especially for the teenagers of the church, because you know, teenagers are at that stage in life where they are becoming a bit independent from their parents, and, and um, th- there's something natural about growing independence. While you still love your mom and dad, you're also learning to be independent on your way. But I've noticed that some of some teenagers, then when they come to prayer, they just simply address God as God. Um, They rarely say things like, oh, most merciful and almighty God. But, But teenagers, what I want you to do is remember, when you pray, you begin, heavenly Father, Father, Father. Jesus makes this very clear. And then in verse 11, he makes a comparison between us earthly fathers and the heavenly Father, and what does he say? Do you see it there? He says, which of you, if his son asks for bread, gives him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, gives him a snake? If you, then being evil, and and that's very interesting. I'm sure Jesus didn't mean to insult you. I hope you, if you're our guest today, I didn't mean to insult you. But Jesus Christ has some very definite ideas about the character of the fallen human condition. And Jesus understands better than anyone else what we call around here the doctrine of total depravity. That the human heart is fallen, is selfish, is unbelieving, is arrogant, and, and, and it's just true. And yet, if your child's hungry and you're still selfish, you're gonna, you still give your child bread. Don't you? I know you do. then Jesus uses the how much more argument, because then He says, how much more will your heavenly Father... Now, is He sinful? Is God sinful? No. He says, how much more will the all-good God give good gifts to His children? And please know this. Some of you had great dads. Some of you didn't even know your dad. Some of you did know your dad, and he wasn't a very good dad. I don't know. And some of you are dads. I hope you are good dads. But your heavenly Father is better than your earthly Father. Why is that? Because this passage is not so much about prayer as this passage is about God. And what do we learn about God in this passage? We learn something so crucial to your personal doctrine of God, what you believe about God, and it's this, that He is good. In the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question four, you have this most important question of all questions, the question of questions. What is God? Right? Is there a more important question? What is God? And here's the, here's the answer that they wrote down. They said, God is a Spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice. And then, do you know what the next word is? Goodness and truth. Goodness. Why? Why? Was it so important to include the word goodness there in the ultimate description of God? Because God is light, and in Him there is no darkness. Because God is love, in Him there is no evil. In the the angry prophet Nahum, chapter 1, verse 7, he says this, The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in Him. What do you believe about God? Do you believe He is good? Do you believe He is good? He is perfectly good. That's what the Bible teaches. You know, some crazy modern theologians, they teach things like, well, God is still evolving. God is still developing. This is nonsense. One of the great writers, A.W. Pink, if you've ever read him, you know he's, he's very careful in how he writes, and he says in his comments on this attribute of God, in God... There is an infinite ocean of good. I like that. That is God. Psalm 119, verse 68. You are, David just shouts out, You are good, and what you do is good. Even His punishment of evil. Did you know this? Even God's punishment of sin is a reflection of His goodness. Think about this for a moment. Think how important this is. Suppose God looked at evil. He looked at sin. He looked at the bully beating up the little kid. He looked at the man robbing the widows. And he said, eh. Would God still be good? Even the execution on his, of his wrath on sin is a function of his goodness. And his goodness is shown to us how in the, the best, in the giving of gifts and in the best gift that he ever gave. So that the Apostle Paul, as he's reflecting on the coming of Jesus Christ into the world, and, and, and there's that passage where it says of Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet He became poor for our sakes so that we, through His poverty, might become rich. And then He explodes by saying, Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. The goodness of God issues forth in the indescribable gift of sending Jesus Christ into the world to be the Savior of men and women. So now I ask you, is God good to you? Has God been good to you? What if you're broke? What if you have cancer? Is God good to you? Now you're at a crisis, and you must remember Romans 5 8. God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How do you know that God loves you, that God is for you, that God is good to you? He sent Jesus for you, and you say, thanks be to God for His indescribable gift, and that's what you say again and again and again. He gives good gifts. That's why David cries out, Psalm 107, verse 8, we heard it this morning, oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. And you learn to celebrate His good gifts. Nina, my wife, led a group of women reading through Ann Voskamp's book, A Thousand Gifts wonderful book, and I've read it as well. And in the book, Ann Voskamp has lived through terrible personal tragedy, and she becomes bitter and apathetic at best toward God. Her father became an atheist, and yet she married a Christian man, and she had Christian friends. And one day, a Christian friend said to her, perhaps, perhaps you should start paying attention to what gifts God is giving you. And she says, I grabbed a scrap of paper and I started writing them down. His gifts. And she started a list. And she kept the list of all the gifts God had given her so that she would learn to live a life of what she calls, get this, radical gratitude. And to all of us whiners and complainers, we need to read Ann Voskamp, and we need to say, oh, oh, Maybe there's a better way than grumbling and complaining. It might be that the life of radical gratitude, where, she says, you catch God in the moment, answering your prayers, alert and awake to what He's done and the blessings that you, you never even asked for, and He gave them to you. Blessings in creation, blessings in salvation, and the Bible teaches You know, the non-Christian gets all the blessings in creation as well. Non-Christians have healthy children. Non-Christians get A's on tests in school. Sometimes Christians get B's and C's and D's, you know. But non-Christians, their crops grow. But the difference is that the Christian thanks God for them. Do you? These are creation gifts. And if you need more clients to sell to... By all means, pray for them. And when God gives them to you, thank Him for them. And if your child is sick, we'll pray for them. And as God brings healing to them, well, then thank Him for that. But you know what? I don't think this is just about getting good grades in school or getting a bigger commission check. Because you see, in Luke chapter 11, this is so important, so important. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus is using this same teaching, at, maybe on a different Sunday, okay? He's at, a different, he's at a different synagogue, I don't know. But he says this, this is really interesting. Jesus says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give... I'll stop you right there. Sounds like the same... Words He's saying in the Sermon on the Mount, isn't it? And now He says, How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? What Jesus is teaching here is that ultimately the greatest gifts that we ask for from God is the Holy Spirit. And this encapsulates it all, for it is the Spirit that applies the salvation that Jesus has accomplished, that the Father has planned, and He applies it to you and your life. And so the most important thing to pray for is the Holy Spirit. And I need to do that every morning when I get up. Why do I need to do that? Lord, fill me again with Your Holy Spirit. Do you know why I have to pray that? Because I leak. I leak. And i got to come back again and again. And J.I. Packer says, and keep in step with the Spirit. You don't get filled with the Holy Spirit once. You come back day after day after day. Fill me fresh, O Lord. Maybe you've been unmoved by this message. Maybe you would say, you know what, I just feel like there's a wall. There's a door between me and me and God. Well, I could tell you to knock, but I tell you something better. We're not the only people who knock. We are told in Revelation 3, verse 20, that Jesus Christ, as He addresses Christians, and by the way there, He's addressing Christians, and what does He say? You remember? He says, "'Behold, I stand at the door and knock.'" If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And maybe that's where you are today. And you need to open the door to Jesus Christ. You've kept the door closed. You're standing there holding the door closed. Today. Hear, hear his knock. Let him come in. Touch your life. Have you been hard Have you been cold? I can't change that, but He will. He will come in. And for those of you, you just have burdens on your heart, shall we ask and seek and knock together, trusting that God is good? Let's ask right now. Let's seek right now. Let's knock right now. Let's pray. How we thank you for your wonderful teaching to us, dear Jesus. You know our needs before we ask them, and yet you now command us to bring our burdens. And right now, Lord, in the quietness of our own hearts, each one of us, uh, we have the liberty to tell you our request. So whatever it is right now, You're abiding in Christ, I trust, and you want to pray according to His will. Would you bring your request to Him right now and just say, Father, here it is. Now you tell Him. Lord, we don't need to be like the pagans and say a whole lot of words about it. Now you've heard us, and we humbly ask you to answer for your glory, according to your will. And we believe you are good. Confirm that in our hearts. Our God, the living and true God, is good. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship.